You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. The greatest thing that you can be called is a child of God. A child of the King of Kings, the one who put everything into creation. It's an overwhelming thing to stop and think that He is the same one that literally split the seas that we read about in the Old Testament and does the same thing for our lives. I remember hearing a friend of mine trying to put it in perspective one time, and he was saying that if you could imagine Jesus being born and he's in the manger and and Mary is just holding her baby, and as she's holding her baby, I don't know if you've had the experience, but, but, but a baby can wrap their entire hand around one little finger and he said I wonder when that happened if Mary thought that was the very hand that created her he said I wonder if she ever held the baby Jesus and just would hear him and feel him breathe and think that breath is what brought this entire world into existence it's an overwhelming thing to think that we can be children of God and my hope tonight is not only do we celebrate that, but we have a chance to add to that. Father God, I ask that in the next few minutes, you would allow your word to come to life. Because in the end, it's your word that changes us. And I ask that, that God, you can bring calmness in this room as we have a chance to navigate the scriptures, just to understand more of who you are. It's one thing to to sing about you. It's another thing to bring the reality of you in our brains and our minds so that it seeps down to our heart and ultimately it changes our souls. So God, I pray that you would bring dead people to life tonight and that there would be more singing that song at the end of this service than right here in the middle of it. So we follow you, Father, and we thank you for your grace to allow us to be in this place. First, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. All of us say amen. Let's give these guys a hand for leading us, if you don't mind. Awesome. I love these guys. I was getting all into it, man. you, you got to understand, uh, for me, I, if you sit around me, it's kind of weird because I'm always bugging you, Zach. You know what I'm saying? I hate it because I'm the guy that when you're, you have your eyes closed and you're like in that moment, I'm always like wanting to tap you and go, hey, this is good, right? I'm that guy. And so it's weird to me because right before I come up, I mean, Jared and, and Aaron are so good at what they do. I'm always sitting over there. It's like, it's like I'm getting ready for like in the World Series. I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I get super excited. Hey, I can't, I, I'm excited to be here tonight. Are you? Yeah? How many of y'all are from TWU, just so I know? We, it's always a higher voice, right? I was just thinking. Uh, and, and UNT, you got UNT, Yeah. That's a mixed voice. That's okay. Girls and guys there. It's good. Not to say there's no guys at TWU. I understand. Um, uh, do we have other... What other colleges do we do, Zach? What? How about the rest of y'all? Yeah? Rest of y'all here? TC something? Yeah. Get it. What? Weatherford. <laughs> it's always... You don't even go there. I'm just talking about that person back there. I met him just a few minutes ago at Weatherford thing. Uh, hey, if you don't know, my name is Wade, and uh, I'm super excited to be here. I've been here the last couple of weeks, and uh, Zach gives me an opportunity every once in a while to come hang uh, and to speak uh, here at Overflow, and, and I love this ministry. Listen, God, 
uh, has done some really cool things in this ministry. I know that some of y'all are new tonight, uh, but it's been going on for years. But, but I, I really believe that God has got his anointing this semester in this year to do some things that, that maybe, uh, not only that Overflow has never seen, but really in this area, the Metroplex has never seen. It really comes by focusing on the Word of God and knowing uh, that He can change us. And then next week, I know Zach will be speaking again, and I'm super excited about that. I'll say this, uh, for those of you who were here uh, the very first week, uh, it's harder to say that uh, last couple of weeks because we were doing the campus tour, uh, but I got online and watched it, and, and I told Zach this, but it's It's true had to be the perfect college message for the beginning of a semester I've ever heard in my entire life. I mean, for him to lay out the idea of Philippians 3 and to understand what it means that that Paul was saying that he had this resume, which a lot of you are going to try to accomplish. There's a lot of things you want. You want a piece of paper at the end of this thing, and you want to have some friends and maybe a spouse or a boyfriend, or you just want somebody to like you for once. But in the end, you know, you count it all as lost. Why? Because in the end, all that matters is Jesus, right? And so the hope is that we have a chance to talk more uh, even about that. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app, can you go to 1 John 1? 1 John. Now, when I say that, the book of John, not the gospel of John. So that means if you go to Revelation and go left, you'll get there a lot quicker. Uh, the book of 1 John and uh, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read 12 verses. It's going to go uh, through chapter 2, too. So if you've got your Bible apps open, then you can look at that. Uh, and just make sure that you uh, keep it open. Uh, and we'll, we'll just kind of dance through all these 12 verses and just kind of the, the concept of what John was trying to get, us, get across to us. As you're turning there, let me pray for us. Lord, I ask in the next few minutes uh, that you could change us. And as we have an opportunity to see even more about you, would you bring salvation to this place tonight? We, we trust that, that in your power, you say your word never goes void. So as we have a chance to read, understand, talk about it, please change us in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we, we talk about life change, and that's what we're talking about tonight, but the idea of life change. We always have moments of life change in uh, our lives. My life as a dad literally changed a few years ago in a moment. And when I say a moment, uh, I've always been the troublemaker in my house. I mean, understand, I'm married and I have two daughters. And so I'm like the only testosterone person in my entire house. And so I'm always doing the best I can to like wrestle with my daughters and stuff like that. My wife gets mad at me. And uh, it's one of those things that I've always been the guy that says the wrong thing at the wrong time. I'm that kind of dad. But I'm a fun dad at the same time. But it all happened in one moment. I had come home from an event and was super tired and uh, was taking a nap in the bedroom. And in our house on the main level, you've got our master bedroom and then you've got a living room and then there's a kitchen. And it all has hardwood floors. And it's interesting because my oldest daughter, I've told you, is four years older than my youngest. And I think Trinity was maybe four years old and she was in her uh, little high chair and still eating like that. And you know, it was kind of interesting, but I, this is what happened. I, I woke up. Uh, with the house shaking. And when I say that, uh, it, it scared me to death. It was one of those moments that maybe I thought I had a bad, like, you know, dream or something, but literally I heard, you know, felt shaking and I would keep hearing, <laughs> and I wasn't sure what it was, but I thought, you know, so my wife's out there, she's got this covered, it's all good. And then sure enough, about four minutes later, I hear, boom, <laughs> and then I thought, okay, I don't know what's going on. And I remember just opening the door to my bedroom and I looked out it, it was just a weird moment for me. My oldest daughter thought it would be really cool to put her sister in the high chair, and, and she was going to put her on the hardwood floors, and she wanted to see how far she could push her 
with wheels in the high chair thing to see how far she could push her across the house. And as I opened the door and looked, all I could see, it was like she was getting ready for the Olympics or something. She was like running and she just threw this thing and all of a sudden the high chair goes. It hits the back wall of the house. I felt it shake and all of a sudden my little youngest daughter, her head just kind of cocks back like that and both of them at the same time. <laughs> and here's the deal. is You know how you have those just initial reactions sometimes? I didn't even mean to do it. But in that moment, my entire life changed. It, it was the weirdest thing ever because I saw my youngest daughter almost die right there. And I just said out loud, hey, you can't do that anymore. And they're both looking at me. And I looked at my oldest daughter and I said, you cannot kill your sister again. <laughs> and it was one of those moments that I started to realize I grew up right then. I became the responsible person in the house. I went from the guy causing all the problems to being the peacemaker. I was like, split up, don't you talk ever again. You're upstairs, you're downstairs. And I remember going back in my room and I thought, I'm now an adult. It was a weird feeling for me. But seriously, I, it was one of those moments that I thought, that's interesting because now I had so much fun, but now I've become like the peacemaker in my house. And I don't even know how that's... Real. If you ever were to read the book of 1 John, and really 2nd and 3rd John as well, but really 1st John more than the others, John's trying to become the peacemaker. Now you have to understand before we read this, if you just want a little background, this is the same guy that wrote the gospel of John, and it was probably 20 or 30 years before. If you can kind of picture what's going on, you have this guy that writes the words for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would not perish but could have everlasting life. And probably like a lot of guys today, he preached with passion, he lived with passion, and there was that point that maybe he gets a little bit older and it's time to let the younger guys come and start to preach. The problem was they were preaching bad stuff. They were misinterpreting not only who Jesus was, but they were misinterpreting what was really happening, and it was causing confusion in the church. Because you had a lot of people that were responding to Christ, the simplicity of who he is, but all of a sudden, everything was becoming very, very fuzzy. In other words, the idea that he was trying to combat was that there was this thing called Gnosticism. There was another kind of thing called Docetism. It's okay, don't, don't, don't kind of freak out. It's the idea of this there was a lot of guys saying this. We know that in the past all these guys have been saying that Jesus Christ came to this earth. But we need you to know this. He actually didn't. It seemed like he did. And the stories were good. But just so you know, it was really a big magic trick. His power still works. But he was actually never here. And then all of a sudden John comes back on the scene. And it's almost like he comes out of retirement. And he says this. Hey, you know what? There's a lot of people in an uproar, and I'm going to make this clear for you right now. Because, students, here's the deal. If you don't understand the clarity of who Jesus is and the understanding of who he is and why he came, there's no way that your life can be changed. There's a lot of people that respond to Christ by knowledge, but seldom do they respond by faith. And the Bible says faith is the way you're saved. But we live in a day where it's completely confusing of who Jesus is. And I'll tell you why. Because everybody and their mother says they know him. I mean, if you watch any, like, award show, 
It doesn't matter what song they sang or what movie they did. They get up and they just want to thank Jesus above. The problem is they're thanking Jesus and you know the song they sang and you weren't allowed to listen to it from your parents. And you're sitting back going, who is this Jesus they're talking about? And what happens is this. There's a lot of people that grow up and they hear a message of Jesus. It gets kind of fuzzy and they're not real sure what to do with it. That's what's happening in the book of 1 John. John comes back on the scene and says, this needs to be crystal clear, by the way, for all of the ages, because if you get this one right, it can change your life forever. And so when I saw this, I thought to myself, maybe this would be a good place for us to be tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, 1 John 1, starting in verse 1, he says it like this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life to which was with the Father and has now appeared to us. We proclaim to you which we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. He says, this is the message that we heard from him and now we declare it to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our hearts. And in the same breath, he goes into chapter 2 and says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, by the way, when he says that statement, he's trying to make a point. He's saying, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. The assumption he's saying is this, by the way, you're going to sin. You see, if, he didn't, if that's not an assumption, he wouldn't have kept going. He would have just said, I'm writing this to you so that you don't sin, and we're done. But if you continue on, he says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if any one of you does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. It's interesting. It's like the message that he spoke 20 years before is the same message he's speaking now. He is the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, he didn't just die for you. He died for all. And it's almost like John is saying this. The message I spoke to you back then is the same message that's going to be true today. And by the way, it's going to be true forever. When I saw that, I thought maybe if we could just break this down a little bit, maybe we can have a chance to leave here with an understanding of what he's trying to say about Jesus, the simplicity. So if you're taking notes, write down just a few thoughts. If you're not taking notes, just consider it like this. The first thing that I want you to see is the man. And when I say that, hear me, I'm not saying Jesus Christ is the man. I'm not that guy that says he's the man upstairs. I don't do that. But he's saying this in the first four verses, just so you know, Jesus was a man. In other words, he's trying to tell them, you need to know that God's son, Jesus Christ, was actually here in bodily form. 
He actually walked on this earth. And you say, well, of course we all know that. Remember what they were dealing with. There was a lot of people saying, no, 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 no. It seems like he was here, but he wasn't. Now, why would they have said that? Now, you have to understand, Jesus is perfect, and there was an understanding of that. And what they were saying was, if Jesus had come down to this earth and even rubbed up against you, he would be dirty or inherit the sin that you have. And there's no way for him to be around sin and never sin. And so they were saying there's no way Jesus actually came. And John's saying in the first four verses, no, no, no. You need to know that he came. And they're like, no, 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 no. But like, we're saying that he never was here. And here's what John says. Uh, yeah, he was. He goes, you want to know how I know he was here? Because I saw him. I touched him. I walked with him. Do you understand he's saying this? You're listening to these young guys that are preaching? They weren't even alive when this was going on. He goes, if you need to believe somebody, if Jesus Christ were here, you need to believe me because I was actually there. You have to understand he's not just making a spiritual argument. He's making a judicial argument. In other words, he's trying to put this aside once and for all because back then, just like today... Nine times out of ten, in a judicial argument, if there's an eyewitness to the crime, the case is over. And what he's saying is this. If you need an eyewitness, you got one right here. It's done. He says it. We've seen him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. We walked with him. We talked with him. We heard from him. We actually were around him. He says, I know for a fact Jesus came because I was the eyewitness. Here's what I found out in life. When you're the eyewitness to something, it changes things. It changes your passion. And you say, well, what do you mean? I'll say it to you like this. I've had a chance to see amazing things in ministry. I mean, listen, I've seen weird things in ministry as well. But I've been to the coolest college groups, college ministries, greatest churches. I've been to the greatest student groups. And I've seen a lot of cool things. But just for the case of, you know, Jared and Wags. Jared used to be on staff at Prestonwood. And I remember doing their youth camp for the first time. I did it several years in a row, but I did the youth camp first time. And we went down to Panama City, and we saw something amazing. We go down there, and we saw one week adults saved. We saw students saved. There was a staff member saved. We saw God move in a way that was so cool. They were like, hey, you know what? At the end of this week, we're just going to baptize people. It's kind of like similar to what we did last semester. I mean, they, you know, people got saved. We, we baptized. We went out to baptize, and we baptized 167 people. They had several pastors out there doing this. And it was interesting because we all walk out to the beach. And we're staying in a real, like, dense part of Panama City Beach. Y'all go there. And we go out on this beach. And we're staying in this, like, 22-story condo. And as we walk out, it was kind of weird because there's, like, 1,500 of us with, like, all red shirts on. And we look like a cult walking on the beach. <laughs> so, you know, everybody's kind of looking like, what in the world are y'all doing? And we go out there. And I'm telling you, listen, I still remember it like it was yesterday. I saw people walk out into the water and in front of their family, in front of their friends, in front of their peers, they were saying, I want you to know I am not ashamed to say I stand with the one who walked on this earth. He died and he rose again. And they literally were given their testimony in front of everybody they knew. And as I watched that, it started to move me. I kind of got caught up into it and I'll never forget this guy coming over to me and he goes hey man listen I mean this is awesome isn't it and I said yeah it's really cool and he goes man did you see what's going on behind us and I went 
Who cares what's going on behind us, man? Dude, look what's going on right here. I mean, I'm trying to soak in every moment. He says, bro, you got to turn around. And I remember turning around, and I looked at the 22-story condo and literally saw people on every single balcony watching what was happening. And I thought, you know what? These people aren't giving a testimony just to their family and friends. They're doing it in front of the entire world. Jesus is being rocked in front of everybody's face. And I'm sitting there going, I don't think I'm going to have a better ministry moment. So I'm kind of like locking this in my brain. And it couldn't have been 67 seconds later because I counted. (laughs) This other guy comes up, taps me on the other shoulder, and he goes, hey, man, did you see what's going on behind us? And I went, yeah, dude, isn't that awesome? He got this look and goes, huh? I go, bro, that's an incredible testimony. He goes, "Uh, I think we're talking about two different things. And I go, what do you mean, man? And he turns me around, and he points to the sixth floor balcony, and there's this kid mooning the entire crowd right there. (laughs) Listen. In a 67-second span, I had the greatest ministry moment of my entire life and the weirdest ministry moment of my entire life. And I tell you that story to make this point to you so that you get it. I can tell that story for the rest of my life, and I know that I can captivate you. And by the way, I know I can make you laugh. And you know why I can do that? Because that's not a story that Zach told me that his youth pastor told him that when he was a kid, some speaker came and told that story to them. It's not handed down. Do you know why I can tell that story with passion and capture you? Because I was there. John says, if you ever need to know, if you ever want to know, if God's son, Jesus Christ, walked on this earth, put everything aside, the case is closed, I was there, you can trust me. And when I saw that, I thought, we've got to understand that. But not only does he talk about the man, Jesus walked on this earth, but then he gave, if you're taking notes, number two, the message that he gave. And this was interesting. If you look in verse five, he says it in a very interesting way. He said, this is the message we heard from him, and now we declare it to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now he goes through a little illustration, and he says this, by the way, he said, if you say that you have God and you hate your brother, then you really don't have God, and he's trying to make a point to say this, it all goes back to verse 5. This is the message we heard from him, and now we declare it to you. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you ever read scripture and wonder why they put things a certain way? I mean, because when I read this, I remember the first time I read it intellectually, and that was probably my problem. But I remember reading it and saying, here's the message that you need to know about Jesus. He's saying you need to know that Jesus was perfect. When Jesus was here, he was perfect. And the way he put that was, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Intellectually, God is light. We get that, right? He's the light of the world. But then he goes further and says, no, no, no. Let me put it a little bit further. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. It's interesting, but when he says God is light, and in him there's no darkness, now, for intellectuals, the definition of light means no darkness, right? It's kind of like redundant. But then he goes further and says this. No, 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 no. God is light. In him there's no darkness. And by the way, there was no darkness at all. What he's trying to say about Jesus is Jesus, God's son, came to this earth. But the message you need to know about him 
is not only did he not sin, but he didn't come close to it. He was perfect. He lived a sinless life and never came close, not at all. And you say, well, what difference does that make? Hear me when I say this to you. When we think about Jesus not sinning, we think about the big things. He didn't commit murder, you know, no premarital sex, there was nothing bad. Here's what you need to know. If Jesus were perfect, it means he never had a bad attitude toward his mother ever. If Jesus were perfect, it means he was never talking to somebody. And like you and I do, you're looking at him thinking, man, you're the most annoying person I've ever met. <laughs> he never did, didn't come close to it. And you sit back and say, well, why is it so important that we understand that? Because here's what you need to understand tonight and don't ever forget it. The only way imperfect people can be changed is to come in contact with perfection. And only one has accomplished that. He's saying the only way to salvation is through Jesus. When I saw that, I thought it's the perfection that you've got to understand. Listen, as a dad, I've lived a very interesting roller coaster. For a while, to my daughters, I was perfect. And when I say that, the dad can do no wrong. They see daddy. I'll give you a case in point. Eden lets me get by with everything. I remember there was a time that I wanted her to play softball, and so I bought her some cool little cleats and stuff. They were pink, so it was cute. And um, I was, like, like, lacing up her cleats and stuff, and she was on my lap. And I remember she got this weird look on her face, like this right here. And I go, honey, what's wrong? She goes, daddy's got bad breath. <laughs> and I went, oh, I'm so sorry. Do I need a piece of gum or something? No, I love you anyway. <laughs> I mean, she was probably six. I remember when she was, like, you know, eight I came in from like working out. I lift weights. I'm sure y'all can tell. <laughs> but I came in really proud of myself one day. I'd maxed out, felt really good. And I went up to her and I said, look, look, feel daddy's muscle right here. And I kid you not, she walks up, puts one finger on my bicep. She goes, biggest muscle in the world no other daddy will ever have. <laughs> I looked at her and I went, your car is paid for now. <laughs> like, like, that's it. You, you keep those things up and... We're, we're good. <laughs> then there was a moment that it got even further. She was probably 11, and I remember I came in. One of the precious times for me with her was when I would sit down and pray with her. We'd get on our knees, and we'd pray next to the bed, and then she would go over, and Mama would read to her, and she'd go to sleep. And I came in one time a little bit early, and I was sitting on the bed, and I look over, and she had, you know, gotten out of the bathtub and stuff, and Mom's combing out all of the, you know, tangles out of her hair which is five million and she's like you know brushing her hair and stuff and I'm just sitting there and I kind of got bored and a few minutes went by and I just looked down and I was like man I gotta do something now understand I, I've taught my girls mixed martial arts I'm all into UFC so please don't think I'm going to hell it's just the truth <laughs> and that week I had taught my daughter some Brazilian jiu-jitsu I taught her you know a body triangle I taught her an arm bar don't even worry about what that is it's just <laughs> Like, I'm teaching her moves so she can protect herself against bad dudes, okay? And so I was sitting there, and I said, hey, did Daddy ever teach you what ground and pound is? And she looks at me and goes, uh-uh. And I look, and she understand, she sleeps with this pink bear named Miss Bear. And Miss Bear was sitting next to me, and Miss Bear is a stuffed animal. Now, you're about to see the gender break in this room right now. <laughs> 
Watch. So I pick up Miss Bear and I say, here's what ground and pound is. You finally get your opponent down. And when you have them kind of caged down, you start to, to pound them where they can't move. And I started to elbow Miss Bear in the face. <laughs> now watch what's happening in this room right now. I am pounding a stuffed animal. Every dude in the room right now is going, yeah. Every girl is looking at me like you're the worst father ever, aren't you? I don't even know what I did wrong. I'm sitting there and I'm pounding a stuffed animal. And she didn't even move. She looked at me and was like, ah! It was as if I ripped her soul out of her body. And listen, I don't even know what I did wrong. I'm like holding a pink bear. And I looked at her and her mama looked at me and goes, um, stuffed animals are very important to little girls. <laughs> and I was frozen in time and I didn't even know what to do. Literally, I'm thinking, what did I do? It's, it, there's no soul in this thing. But I'm trying to be a good dad. And as I'm sitting there, I remember her walking around and she looked at me and I thought, I mean, this is it. Like, she's going to hate me forever. And I'm trying to get the words out as fast as I can. I said, Eden, listen, I am so sorry that I beat up your bear. <laughs> and I said, I want you to know I will never hit Miss Bear ever again as long as I live. And I remember her looking at me and she says, Daddy, you know what? It's okay. I love you no matter what you do. Now listen, in that moment, here's what I thought. She sees Daddy and she sees perfection. I can do no wrong. But she was 11. You know in about two years from that day, it became a struggle. <laughs> because when she turned 13, she knew every bad thing about me. And the only hope that I had was she would love me anyway that I have faults. Students, hear me when I say this to you. He said, God is light. In him there is no darkness. There is no darkness at all. I want you to know that every single person you meet for the rest of your life will let you down somehow. Jesus has never failed. He will never fail. The man, God's son, he came to this earth. He walked on this earth. He was here. While he was here, he lived a sinless life and didn't come close to it. Why? Because he knew that you and I needed to be changed so he lived a life of perfection in the midst of sin. And the last thing, if you're taking notes, there was a mission. There was a reason why he came. It's interesting because if you go through it, he talks about two groups of people. And he's trying to reach them both. In verse 8 and verse 10, he's talking about people that say they have not sinned and say that they are without sin. It's interesting. He said... Some of you say you have not sinned. Some of you say you're without sin. And in the midst of all that, in between it, he has that famous verse. But if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive you from all, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's a beautiful thing. But he's trying to reach these people because they're saying, no, I've, I've never sinned. Hey, I'm without sin. You see, you and I today would look at that and we would say this. Well, come on, man. He was reaching some weird people because there's nobody today that would say they've done no wrong, that they haven't sinned at all. Everybody in the room would say that. I want you to know 
We, as ministers, combat the same mentality. We just say it differently today. Back then, they were saying, we're without sin. We haven't sinned. Putting it in today's language, here's what it's saying. It's called justification of your sin. What it means is you come to church and you say this, well, I know I've done something wrong, but I'm better than they are. Hey, they've sinned more than me. And what you're saying is this, I'm going to justify my sin because I don't want everybody to know I'm a bad person. And what he was saying was this, no, 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 no. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But by the way, you're all going to. And when you sin, you need to know something. There is one who stands in defense of the Father for us. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. He's saying, when you finally get to that place that you understand that you have sinned, and you've fallen short of God's glory, if you ever want a pathway to get that sin right, he's saying this, if you're willing to confess it, not only is he faithful, to forgive it, but he will cleanse you from every bit of unrighteousness in your life. He will make you white as snow. His mission, the reason Jesus came, and the reason Jesus died a tragic death, was not so that we would just read stories. He did it so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. It's interesting. There's a couple of translations, and I know you have different versions of the Bible here. One says he is the atonement. Some of your translations, if it's an older translation, may say he is the propitiation of our sins. I want to unexplain it because a lot of people who've grown up in church don't quite understand it, so I'm going to make it as simple as I can. It really is the same thing in two different ways. Propitiation is a word that means substitute. Jesus Christ became the substitute for your sins on the cross so that you could come to him and him change your life. In other words, he was sinless, but he took the sins of the entire world. Every sin you're ever going to commit, that's why he died a tragic death. Because there had to be a penalty paid for that. And he said this, I would rather pay the penalty than you pay the penalty. And so he became the propitiation or the substitute. In other words, you and I should be the ones dying on a cross. But he said, no, 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 no. I'm going to do that in substitute for you. The word atonement is the same thing in a different way, and it builds. If you look at the word atonement, it's split up into three words. At, one, meant. At, one, meant, or at, one, with. Jesus Christ became the propitiation or the substitute for your sins so that you could be at one with him forever. That's the reason he came. He came so that you could be forgiven. As simple as that sounds, I want to end it like this. I've done a lot of youth camps in my day, and I love them because there's crazy things that happen like peanut butter boy. <laughs> if you weren't here last week, they'll explain it later. But I remember specifically doing a camp where it was a group out of Dallas, that's all I'm going to say. Great church. And I remember I started to give the invitation like I'm about to do in a few minutes. And when I gave it, like heads bowed, eyes closed, it was like, like everybody just shut down. You could just feel it in the room. It was almost as if this church had had so many people 
like shoving Jesus down their throat. They were just against the evangelistic part. I mean, it's almost like they were over-evangelized. You can't be over-evangelized, but it was like that's how they felt. But there was something in me that said, whatever your discernment says, just keep giving the invitation. And I kept talking it through, and I was talking about salvation and how you could be changed. And I said, listen, Jesus Christ came so that you could be forgiven, so you could be changed. And there was people that gave their lives to Jesus, maybe 18 or 20. They stood. They said, you know what? I've received the Lord. No turning back, no turning back. And it was great. The Bible says when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. So that was a big honking party. I was happy. I remember as people were walking out, I'm standing by the door, and I'm just kind of high-fiving people and doing my weird thing when I tap you three times and do that. And this girl comes by. She was 16 years old. And she said, hey, is there any way that I can like, talk to you privately? And I went, absolutely, dude. I mean, I live for those moments. So I was like, yeah. And she kind of got this weird look. She goes, she goes, I don't want to offend you or anything. I said, no, please. I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, just talk straight to me. She goes, I just want, I want to try to help you a little bit if I can. And I was like, okay. She goes, first of all, I appreciate you being here and you speak with passion and that's really cool. And I know you leave your family and, and just thanks for that. But putting that stuff aside, I want to say this to you. I think guys like you, when you get up to speak, you don't think about some of the things that you're saying. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She goes, you didn't specifically say it here, but like if I can just kind of lump y'all all together. She goes, y'all know how you say that, like, we need to read our Bibles every day? And I was like, well, I don't say you got to read your Bible every day, but I know what you're saying. People say you need to read it. You do need to read it regularly because it's God's word for your life. She goes, yeah. Can I just, like, give you a light bulb moment? And I went, yeah. She goes, you, you tell me to give my life to Jesus, and you're saying this, but you got to read your Bible every day. She goes, I'm 16 years old. In case you don't know it, I've got enough to read in my life. And I went, okay, that's a good point. She goes, can I just say something? I don't want to offend you because I think that worship guy is your friend. And I go, yeah. She goes, in case nobody's told you, like, the majority of Christian music is, like, really bad. It's just not good. And I looked at her and I went, that's okay. I mean, listen, everything's subjective. I get it. And she looked at me and she goes, you know how that you say when you give your life to Jesus, you are supposed to go to church every Sunday. And I was like, I mean, I get what you're saying. She goes, she goes, wait, this church is really big and they do three services and all of the youth come to church at eight o'clock in the morning. Really? She goes, I'm not being mean, but the last thing I want to do is give my life to Jesus so that I can come home early on Saturday night and get up at 6 in the morning just so I can be at church where somebody yells at me. And I looked at her and I went, okay. And then I had a light bulb moment and I looked at her and I said this, can I ask you a question because I'm just going to sound weird. Weren't you one of the ones that gave your life to Christ tonight? She goes, actually I was. I go, am I missing something in this conversation? She looks at me and she goes, no, you're not. I go, well, what is it that you need to say to me to make all this make sense? And here's what she said. She goes, wait, I'm going to tell you something. I don't like that music. I don't want to read my Bible. And I don't want to go to church at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sundays. But you said something tonight that not only captured my heart, but it changed my soul. And I said, what's that? You said salvation 
is about you being forgiven of your sins. And she goes, Wade, there's one thing I'm going to admit tonight that probably nobody else will, but I'm going to. And I go, what's that? We all need to be forgiven for what we have done really bad. She goes, I gave my life to that tonight. And in that moment, I thought, I would love to tell the church or people like you forever. Jesus didn't die on a cross so you would read your Bible. Jesus did not raise from the dead so you would show up at church at 8 o'clock. And he didn't live a sinless life so that you would enjoy Christian music. He did all that so you would be forgiven and be at one with God forever. All of that other stuff comes after. The problem is we have a generation of people that have grown up and they've been taught to clean the mess and they've never gotten around to accepting what matters. You accept what matters and then the mess takes care of itself. That's what salvation is. Understanding that he can change you. So do this. Just bow your heads with me if you don't mind. And as the guys just make their way up. My hope tonight and my prayer has been. That tonight would be a night that not only college students but adults. And we've got plenty of adults that come. And many who ever here would be willing to come to a place of saying I, I want to respond to Jesus. So my question for you tonight is as simple as I can make it, and it's the same type of response that I would want to get, and so I'm going to give to you, where do you stand with Jesus? And I mean that really. Because this thing called overflow exists, I think Zach said it on the first night, not so that you can exist, but so that you can live. Live means you have life. It means you have a reason to live. My hope tonight is that maybe some of you would be willing to take a step from death to life, but you've got to start by answering the question, where do you stand with Jesus Christ? So as they play, let's just do this. Can you glance at me just for a second? Because I've got to say this to your face because a lot of you don't know me. If in the next few minutes you do not want to respond to Christ, then don't do it. And I know that sounds weird coming from a preacher, dude. I'm passionate about who Jesus is, but hear my heart. The last thing that I want, Zach wants, this church wants, Christianity needs, is one more student or an adult being manipulated to pray a prayer that they don't mean, and you leave here and do nothing with the rest of your life. I'd rather, like last semester, 20 or 30 of you pray, and pray to receive Christ, and I mean give your life to him, because it's more than a prayer, and become world changers, than 100 of you getting super weepy on the inside and teary and leaving and doing nothing. So I'm going to say to you again, so you know, I'm not going to manipulate you to do anything you don't want to do. If you don't want to respond to Christ, then don't do it. But I'm going to say this to you personally, and I'm going to say this to you biblically. Those who say yes to Jesus when it comes to salvation, your life will never be the same. It is the greatest decision you will make, but it's your decision. It's not mine. 
So all I'm going to ask in the next couple of minutes is that you trust me to take you down this process. And if you're willing to do that, I believe that God can do some amazing things. Make sense? Just trust me. Just trust me. I'm not going to ask you to do anything you don't want to do tonight. So just rest. Bow your heads. Nobody looking around. I don't want to embarrass one person. How many of you would be honest with me tonight and say this? Hey, wait, I'm sitting here tonight. And either you would say one of two things. Either I know for a fact that I have never, ever followed Christ in salvation. Or Wade, I'm sitting here, and if I'm just honest with you, I'm not sure, I'm not positive that if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. Hear my heart. I'm not trying to confuse you. I've just met more people in the last four or five years that say, Wade, I'm pretty sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. I'm almost positive that if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. Hear me. Jesus didn't die and bleed on a cross for you to leave here pretty sure of anything. He went to that extreme so that you would know, you would know what you have. And the sad thing is, we don't play that game in life. It's just a spiritual life. There's no way you leave here tonight and say, I'm pretty sure that's my car. I'm going to go home in that one. But the weird thing is, some of you, if you're not careful, are going to come in here pretty sure of salvation. You're going to leave pretty sure of salvation. And it's the most important decision of your life, man. So how many of you honestly... Knowing I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. Say, Wade, either I know for a fact that I have never, ever followed Christ in salvation, or Wade, I'm just shooting straight with you. I'm not sure. I'm just not positive that if I die tonight, I go to heaven. If that's you, hear me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I don't want you to stand up. I don't want you to raise your hand. But you say, Wade, I'm sitting here, and I'm not sure that if I die tonight, I go to heaven. If that's you, do this for me. I want you to just open your eyes and look at me. Just open your eyes and look straight at me. Don't look to the left and do not look to the right. Not sure if I died and I go to heaven. I'm going to say this to you, and I want you to do with it whatever you want. Number one, there's a bunch of you looking at me, so know this. You're not alone. I'm going to say this to you. You do whatever you want. I'd give anything in the world. Anything. If I could come off the stage and say, please, please would you make this decision. It's not what it's about. You know it and I know it. At some point, Scripture has to be unlocked in you. And when I say that, it's not about responding to knowledge, but faith. The Bible says this. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says, then you will be saved. You will have salvation. The problem with that is a lot of you would say, oh, that's all you got to do? I prayed that verse a long time ago. Here's the mistake. A lot of you prayed something a long time ago, but you didn't mean it. Understand what it says. You have to believe with your heart. Some of you, if you're honest, this is your testimony. This is your story. When you were eight years old, your mom came and told you a story about Christ. And at the end of that story, she said, well, do you want to pray this prayer? And you prayed a prayer when you were eight. Not because you meant it, but you prayed a prayer because you didn't want to let your mom down. I've heard it a million times. Maybe you got a little bit older and you were 13 years old and maybe you were at some Christian concert or something where they ramp up the emotions and there was a point where maybe one of your friends as a group said this hey let's all go make that decision together wouldn't that be cool and you were thinking in your brain well I don't really want to make this decision but you went down and you prayed some prayer not because you meant it but because you didn't want to not be part of the group I get that maybe you're one of those that have had a tragic time in your life and there was some minister or somebody in the church that loved you through it. I mean, they were there for you. And there was a point where they got a little bit too passionate. And they were like, would you please just pray this prayer? And in your mind, you were thinking, you know what? 
they deserve for me to pray this prayer. Hear my heart. Jesus makes a point and he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman's ever going to come to the Father but through me. That means your mom, as much as she loves you, can't get you into heaven. Means an emotional moment doesn't get you into heaven. Means a dude like me cannot get you into heaven. It comes when you pray this, but you mean it with your heart. And then here's the confusing thing for some of you. Some of you that are looking at me have probably been in church all your life, and this is where it gets tricky. Because I get it. Some of you have grown up going to youth camp, going on mission trips. Some of you have memorized scripture. You've done a lot of church things. You know every word to every Christian song. And here's your dilemma. You're the only one that knows when you come to services like this that there, you just know there's something missing. You just know it. But in your mind, you think, how can I do all that stuff and not be sure about my own salvation? And if you look at the scripture, it says it clearly. It says no one comes to salvation apart from the drawing of the Holy Spirit of God. You know what that means? You don't get salvation one day just because you decide it. Yeah, I think I'll just take it. It doesn't work that way. It comes when the Bible says he pursues you and he opens your heart. And you say, well, what does that mean? It means you've got to believe that God is sovereign. It means you've got to believe that God knows what he's doing. And if you're smart enough in that, here's what you're going to find out. Some of you, you've got to believe that God put you in a Christian family for a reason. He had you going to church for a reason. He had some of you memorizing scripture for a reason. He's had some of you coming to overflow for three years for a reason. And you say, yeah, why did he do all that in my life? Here's the deal for some of you for this very moment. Because all of a sudden, it's unlocking in you, and you recognize that you want this. Not somebody else. You are ready to make this decision. I told the story last time I was here. My daughter got saved when she was 10. I'd preached to her my whole life, man. All, all my friends, their kids got saved when they were one. And they were like, come on. But I never wanted to shove it down her throat, and I'll still never forget it. She prayed to receive Christ while I was preaching in Texas. And I remember coming back home and I said, honey, tell me what happened. And you know what she said? The worship guy just started to tell a story about Jesus that I've heard a hundred times. And she says, dad, I cannot explain it. There was something that happened inside of me that in one moment, everything you've said to me in 10 years made sense. Just like that. And I said yes to Jesus. That's how salvation happens. It doesn't happen just because you come to church all your life. Some of you may come to church most of your life, and all of a sudden, life change happens, and you're ready for it. So here's what I want to do. I want to give some of you a chance to complete this commitment tonight. When I say that, we only give an invitation like this once or twice a semester. Hear me. It's not like Wade walked in and magically opened your eyes. No, Jesus did that. But tonight... Some of you, all you have to do is just complete the commitment. You know that God has brought you on this journey, and he's opening your heart, and it's time to just put it to rest and say, you know what, I'm ready to pray this, and I'm ready to mean this. So here's what we're going to do in the next few minutes. If you're willing to pray this, I'm, I'm going to lead you through it on this stage. You don't have to come down here and do it. Just right where you sit, I can lead you through this, but I'm going to tell you the whole story because I've always promised to never manipulate you. I'm going to lead you through praying this in your own spirit, not even out loud. And if you're willing to pray it and to mean it right where you sit, students, adults, whoever you are, when we get done, I'm going to have all heads bowed. I'm going to say in Jesus' name, amen. And if you pray this for salvation and you mean it, when we are done, all heads are going to be bowed. I'm going to ask you to stand. 
I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to have somebody else pray for you. And I know some of you right now are like, no, 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 dude. Okay, not doing that one, and here's my answer to you. Then don't. I'm not asking you to join this church tonight because I don't go to this church. I live in Alabama. I'm asking some of you to give your lives to the kingdom so that you can understand that you can leave here knowing what you have. All I know is this. When I was 13 years old and I recognized my need for salvation, my need for forgiveness, and recognized I wanted to be in heaven, there is nothing a dude could say to keep me in my seat. So if you're sitting there and in your mind you're going, yeah, but I don't know what people are going to think about me. If that's what you're like going through in your mind, this is probably not your moment. But if you're there saying, this all makes sense now and I'm ready to say yes, then say yes. It's up to you. I'm going to say it again. You don't have to make this decision. I am not the dude that when this service is over, if you don't make this decision, I come up and say, you looked at me and you did. I don't do that. You should know me by now. It's your decision. Do whatever you want. You can say no, but I'm going to tell you this. Those who say yes in the next few minutes to Jesus, your life will never be the same. So let's just see what happens. Just bow your heads right where you are. Nobody looking around. Right where you sit. In your own spirit, don't let me pray for you. In your own spirit, you say, put this in your own words. Say, God, I thank you for who you are. And I recognize Jesus Christ is your son. God, right now, I admit to you, I'm a sinner. Lord, I've messed up. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Lord, please, I receive what Jesus did for me on a cross over 2,000 years ago. And I accept him as my atonement. Lord, please save my soul and give me the chance to live for you and give me the strength to do it. And I promise, starting tonight, I will do the best I can with your salvation and with your strength to live this life. For it is in Jesus Christ's name, I am praying this prayer. Some of you need to say that in your heart again. Jesus, my mom's not praying at this time. Preacher dude's not praying it for me. Jesus, I am praying this and I mean this tonight. With heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you prayed that and you meant it beyond the shadow of a doubt, you're the only one who knows if you meant it. Just stand right where you are. That's simple. Just stand and stay standing. Don't worry about anybody else. This is just what you did. Keep your heads bowed because I don't want you to respond because somebody else is telling you to respond or because you want to do it because they're doing it. This is just what God did in you. Give you about five more seconds. If you want to admit it, great. If you don't, it's fine. Five, four, three, two, one. If you're standing, and only if you're standing, can you look at me real quick? I'm going to say this to your face. You made the right decision. You never make a decision for Christ and it ever be the wrong decision. And I wanted to encourage you first because I remember responding to something just like this and people looked at me like, well, what did you do? So I want to be the first one to say, this is awesome to say yes. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.